Hey guys, today I am talking with Dr. Chris Winter. He is the sleep doctor. Well, he doesn't think he's the sleep doctor, but I do. As a matter of fact, I, I, I'm pretty sure you could also call him the Sandman. Anyway, Dr. Chris is an American sleep researcher, neurologist, and author. He is the author of The Sleep Solution, Why Your Sleep is Broken and How to Fix It, and he has a new book coming out this week uh, called The Rested Child. Anyway, super smart guy, very fun to talk to, and his writing style, well, he uses humor to help educate, and I really like that. So his books are easy to read and they're entertaining as well as educational. But if you want to know more about your sleep and how to fix it, or if you are a new parent and you have children that you really wish they would sleep, you really need to check out Dr. Chris Winter. So guys, this is the podcast. I hope you enjoy the show. Buckle up. Pull up a chair and buckle up. It's the Original Strength Podcast. So, Dr. Winter, you are the sleep doctor. Uh, you, you've got uh, a book called The Sleep Solution, Why Your Sleep is Broken and How to Fix It. And you have a new book uh, right there beside you that comes out tomorrow called The Rested Child. I do. Um yeah, I, I am a sleep doctor. I, I might correct that. Um, there were a couple ahead of me, I think. And um, so, but no, I appreciate you saying that. Yeah. So I wrote a book back in 2017 called The Sleep Solution and I'm very proud of it. Uh, didn't really envision writing a book, although my mother is an English teacher. Um, so, but this book was a real passion project just because I felt like with the, the, the sleep solution, there were books out there about individuals who struggle to sleep. But I feel like with The Rested Child, when you talk about books about kids and sleep, people sort of remember that book that they had when they had kids or their partner was pregnant and, you know, cry it out or let them sleep in the bed with you and bring their food and beverages in there as well, too. You know, whatever your parenting philosophy was. But once the kid got out of that sort of phase of having to sleep through the night, there really wasn't a lot available from a parent's perspective or a clinician's perspective or a teacher's perspective until they got into adulthood. And I felt like, you know, there's a real void here because I see adults and kids in my clinic and just the sheer number of kids that we see and the rise that we've seen over the last five years or so. And then with COVID happening, it's just this massive void out there that I was really excited to be able to fill. So I'm really, really pumped to, to have it out there. We're almost out there. Congratulations. You want it tomorrow. Uh, so tomorrow. congratulations. Yeah. So for the rested child, is it, is it for new parents uh, uh, with small babies or is it for uh, just parents that have children? Like, like what age demographic or do you think it really nestles with? Yeah. I mean, I wrote it um, and they even put on here a cradle to college, which was sort of my goal was that, I want a, a, a prospective parent or a, a, a couple who's expecting a child to be able to read it, learn about the sleep of their developing baby and how it's going to change over the years they're, they're in the home with them. But I also wanted a book that uh, a, a parent or parents who are struggling with a teenager and addictions to telephone or a teenager has been newly diagnosed with ADHD, but something doesn't feel right about the diagnosis. I wanted all of those things to sort of be in that book. So I would say it's for anybody who has kids. I think you can get something out of it for sure. Do from, from reading the sleep solution. I mean, I learned a great deal. Um, 
for one, everybody sleeps. <laughs> so regardless of, of what they think, um, and I'm assuming that that would be the same case for the child, regardless what even the parent might think. But but do children have the same sleep issues that adults do? They can. There, there are some things that are similar. I think there are some things that are sort of more unique to children. So I, I'm glad you got something out of my book. I mean, I think one of the things I really try to stress in my writing is sort of a, a sense of reassurance. There's a lot of things out there that are written about sleep that can be fear promoting. They don't mean to be, but the idea that if you're not getting adequate sleep, you could develop dementia. That may be a statement of fact, but for some people, when they hear that, it's sort of like, make these free throws or you're off the team. I'm sure if you miss enough free throws, the coach might reevaluate whether or not you should be on her team or not. Um, but in this, at the same time, you would never say that to a kid walking on the court. Hey, better make those free throws. I'm kicking you off the team. So for some people, they kind of go to bed that way. You better get some sleep tonight and not struggle to fall asleep or else terrible things will happen. So I do try to approach these books with a sense of humor and reassurance. And for parents, there's an extra level. It's kind of like, you know, I don't want to have dementia, but I definitely don't want my kids to have dementia. So there's this kind of element of trying to understand more about the sleep of a child. And I think it does differ from an adult, both in terms of what you see children struggle with, but maybe more importantly, how they present it. You know, a, an adult who is extremely sleepy in school, like a college class or a going back to school for some sort of further degree could look very different than an eight-year-old who's struggling with excessive sleepiness in his class. So it's really about the sort of arming the parents with an understanding of what are the various disorders that do affect kids and how do they look? Because if you're just looking around for kids falling asleep in class, you're probably not going to find them. So do the children uh, actually have in, insomnia like, like adults might have? They can. And, and for a lot of, and a lot of times that, that, that relationship that the child has with the parent can be remarkably helpful in terms of the insomnia or remarkably problematic. Um, and, and that's one of the things that we talk about in the book is how do you deal with a child who is telling you it's taking him or her a while to fall asleep or feels like they struggle to sleep through the night what is your response to it? And how can that response not only help to shape their sleep, but maybe more importantly, their sleep identity. So I, I kind of talk about the idea that we all have sort of an athletic identity, maybe a scholastic identity. He's a great basketball player. She's an amazing mathematician. Um, and I think that we sort of have a sleep identity too, that starts very young. So as somebody who sees both kids and adults, it's interesting when a 38-year-old comes into my clinic and says, you know, I'm here. I probably should have come a long time. I've been a bad sleeper since I was a kid. And it's really interesting to explore where that identity has come from and what are you seeing now as a 38-year-old that reinforces it? Is it a valid identity that you've determined for yourself? Um, I bet math teachers would say the same thing. Oh, I'm terrible at math. I had a math teacher tell me one time, she said, Chris, anybody can do math. You can teach a monkey to do math. So when people talk about not being good at math, it's often because they've got a little bit of a fear or anxiety or have had a bad experience with it. But those things can be overcome. And I think that the same thing could be true for sleep as well, too, that 
I think everybody can be a much better sleeper than they are right now. And for kids, letting parents understand what they need to do to kind of fix those issues is really what this book is all about. Well, given that the whole uh, concept you just presented of sleep identity and the sleep solution, I think you had said that the quality of your sleep is often determined by your beliefs about your sleep. Um, so I'm guessing that could run in the same thing with, with children, how, it, you know, if a child believes, like it's just the same thing as math, right? If you believe you're bad at math, well, yeah, you're probably going to be bad at math because you believe you are. I, I imagine it's probably even more so as a student, you know, I went to a very small school in Southwest Virginia and believe myself to be a fantastic student. And then when I left high school and went to the University of Virginia, I quickly realized I'm pretty average. <laughs> I think as I look around, like there's some people who went to some big schools in Northern Virginia or around Richmond that seem to be much further along than I am. But that belief, I think when you kind of create these narratives within people, they can be very powerful. So it's not about tricking somebody who truly has sleep pathology or problems into thinking that they're good, but we do want to make sure that people who do have good sleep and kids who do sleep well at night believe themselves to be, because we tell people all the time, sleep is a skill. It's not a trait. Oh, I've got brown eyes and blonde hair and there's nothing I can do about it. That's not the same thing for sleep. Well, I'm a bad sleeper. I'm 15 years old and there's nothing that I can do to fix that. Well, of course there is. And so we want to make sure that the belief about sleep and the actual sleep are really sort of congruent to one another. So for children, since, since sleep is a skill, how, what are some ways that you implement that skill of sleep or improve the skill of sleeping for children? Yeah. So I think that this is where, you know, sort of the cradle to college, if, if I could pick, I would say, let's get this book in the hands of everybody who's about to have a child, because really arming yourself about fundamental knowledge about sleep. Like you said earlier, everybody sleeps and every kid sleeps. There's, there's no way around it. So for every parent out there expecting or wants to be, just understand that your child may have significant sleep problems. The problem that they're not going to have is I have a child who can't sleep. That doesn't exist in nature. So just take a deep breath. What we're trying to do is refine the nature of your child's sleep and understand it better. So to me, which the, the question you asked really begins as early as you start thinking about it. I want to craft a sense of confidence in my children's sleep and excitement about sleep and belief in sleep. I mean, I need a child to understand that if he wants to be the best swimmer and she wants to be the best rower and the best student and the best person and have the best mental health and physical performance and stay healthy as much as you can, those things really do depend upon good sleeping habits and, and adequate quality and quantity. So it really starts early and, 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 and really kind of begins with when your child for the first time comes out of his bedroom and says, you know, daddy, I can't sleep. How is that going to be handled? What messaging are you going to give to that child? Is it going to be one of anger, one of stress and frustration, one of just sort of throw your hands up and, and resignation? Or do you have a plan for the way you're going to handle that so that over time you create a child who, I always use the word bulletproof, although I don't know if it makes any sense. It's kind of a bulletproof sleeper. You know, a kid who just, you know, if you go camping with friends, your friends are going to say to you, wow, your kid's just 
went into that tent and the zipper went up and then that we didn't hear from them again. You're so lucky to have good sleepers. Well, there's no luck involved in it at all. You can, you can't, my dad was a football coach. He always said things like you can't coach height, meaning that I can't make my kids taller. Um, but, but you can certainly coach sleep and it's is not it, that hard. Is it possible for a parent to have a child that's not sleeping well, but not know it? Oh yeah. Yeah, Absolutely. And, and I'm, I'm so glad you said that because we do really have a couple dialogues in this country re- related to sleep that the loudest, the one with the highest volume is about kids or even adults that don't sleep. That's, oh man, if you don't sleep, you better take this pill and you better do this yoga and you better get this app because not sleeping is deadly. So there's the, you know, sort of the insomnia vein of our conversation. So one of the things that will often designate a child as being a good sleeper is a kid that sleeps a lot, takes good naps, goes to bed when you ask him, maybe puts himself to bed at night. And, you know, unless you're sitting in there with your child, and I'm not a big proponent of sleeping with your kids, you, you have no idea really kind of what's going on. And to your point earlier, kids often manifest sleep disturbances in ways that don't seem related to sleep, like a kid who is not doing well in school or a kid who is bedwetting or not growing. So the, the, the hints that you may have something going on with your kid and his sleep can be subtle and can look like the best sleeper that, of all the, your friends' kids. Oh, I wish I were like Chris. He's got that kid who puts himself to sleep and never misses a nap and sleeps in till noon on Sunday. Yeah, that's great if you're a parent and needs to get some things done, but I'm not sure that's the healthiest situation in terms of why is your child so driven to sleep and what could be causing that? And, and, and the same can be said for adults too. So we give a lot of attention to the can't sleep, to the kids who sleep really well, but maybe struggle a little bit with you know anxiety or ADHD, but boy, they're a great sleeper. Are they really a good sleeper? And could that sleep quality problem be manifesting itself as more sleep? So these are things I think that are very subtle um, and and, and probably the reason why so many pediatric sleep disorders are missed or misdiagnosed as other things that they are not. So when we first started, you talked about in the last few years, you've seen a a lot more prevalence of sleep disorders in children and and things. Um, Can you speak as to why that might be, especially with the current times and stuff? Yeah, I think there's a variety of reasons. I think number one, I think primary care doctors, pediatricians are just more in tune to sleep disorders now. So when the parent is, you know, brings their child in and the kid's a little bit hyperactive, struggling in school, some concentration issues, I think there's more of a sense of let's step back and make sure how is his nutrition? Is he getting any exercise? What's his sleep like at night? So I think pediatricians are really coming at it from a bigger perspective rather than just, oh, he's got attention problems or, oh, he's depressed. So here's your antidepressant. Here's your ADHD medication. We'll, we'll see you next time. So I do think there is a learning of the system that there may be more going on than what the symptom presents itself. I think that during this time of, of isolation and, and, and COVID, there has been a tremendous amount of mental health changes anxiety in students, of feelings of being disconnected, depressed, that I do think are driving up the, um, the incidence of sleep disturbances in kids. 
And, you know, it's interesting. There's always been this sort of psychological hang up about getting your kid diagnosed with depression or anxiety or seeing a psychiatrist. I don't think that stigma really exists with sleep. Like in some parents' minds, that's a real disorder, a sleep problem. I'm going to go see a neurologist, a brain doctor, and help my kid deal with his sleep problems, which are real. There's, I mean, even in 2021, I still think that mental health has a little bit of a stigma. So a lot of kids with mental health kind of get funneled into the system through the sleep doctor's office rather than psychiatrist or psychologist. Do, do, is it possible for parents with sleep issues to pass those along to their children? Or I guess if does the attitude of parents or the anxieties or stresses of the parent get mirrored down to the child uh, and affect their sleep? I think both happen. It's a great question. Um, and there have been some studies here and there talking about the genetics of anxiety. Uh, I think for the most part, anxiety is something that is probably modeled and passed down. I mean, I consider myself sort of a type A, more on the anxious side than the quiet, depressive side. Um, and I think that a little bit of anxiety, a little bit of type A tendencies are good. Um, these are probably shared by a lot of people who are successful. Oh, I've got a problem. I'm going to fix it right now. I've, you know, sort of, uh, there's a something that needs to be done. Oh, Chris took care of it already. Well, good for him. Like sometimes these things are positive until they reach a point when they are not. Um, so for a lot of individuals, when you, you, when you find, you know, kids with these kinds of issues, particularly young kids, they've probably been learned somewhere. I mean, I talk about in my, my new book, you know, one time my son came down and said he couldn't sleep. And I said, well, why don't you just stay up? Don't you have an English teacher that requires that you write an essay of your choice every two weeks on some sort of topic that's meaningful to you? And he was kind of looking at me like 1130 at night saying, yeah, I do. I said, well, you know what you should do? You should just stay up tonight. Just read some books, stay up all night. And then that'd be a kind of a cool topic. Your topic would be what it felt like to stay awake all night on a school night. Maybe you could do something like that. And, and, and so I acknowledge that, hey, I'm sorry you're having trouble sleeping. It's part of being a human. Maybe we could make something positive out of it. And if you accidentally fall asleep trying to stay up, well, that's okay too, but you're going to be okay. And then we move through it. So we're acknowledging letting that complaint have a space to live but we're not going to amplify it. We're not going to come up with some crazy idea to get this person sedated in the next 20 minutes and, and really make them understand that from time to time as a human, you probably have some issues with sleeplessness. And so somebody asked me one time, well, what's the difference between sleeplessness and insomnia? It's really how you feel about it. So if you ask me, Chris, if you wake up at two o'clock in the morning, and you can't get back to sleep, what goes on in your head? Not much. I like being in bed awake at night. It gives me a quiet chance to think and meditate a little bit or figure out a good present for my wife, which I can never seem to figure out a good one when her birthday kind of rolls around, but at least I have some time to think about it. So I welcome that, that time. And I think it's important for good sleepers, both young and old to at least be neutral about that situation. When you start to fear it, have anxiety about it, or your parents are telling you, you better get back to sleep. And if you don't, you're going to do poorly on that spelling test. and You're not going to make the swim team. I think we start to mean well, but our actions and words start to create more of an anxiety and pressure around this relatively normal situation. That's awesome. So it, it goes back to, again, how you frame it. Um, yeah. And somebody, I think in the Olympics or maybe in the Olympic trials or a runner, I can't remember, won some race 
or went to the Olympics. And when he was interviewed, said something like, I'm a very good sleeper, but I slept very poorly the night before the Olympic trials or whatever. He said, but I just had a belief in myself that my abilities were much more than one night of bad sleep. And I did fine. Like you could just hear in his voice, you know, I'm a good sleeper, but tonight wasn't that great, but it's not going to, it's, you know, I always tell people, I work with a lot of professional sports teams. I've never heard of an athlete going to up to a, you know, a coach or a general manager and saying, Hey, I didn't have a very good dinner tonight. So you're going to need to sub somebody else in for me. I just, I can't do it. Why? Because you didn't have some potatoes and a piece of Turkey. Like you're much better than that. Now skip dinner every night for the next month. We have a big problem but you're much better than you're much more resilient than one difficult night. So as parents, we want to encourage good sleep habits, but also, you know, set expectations of, Hey, you're going to strike out in your baseball games. You're going to have some issues related to your sleep from time to time. And you might make a D on a test. All these things are okay. You're going to bounce back from them just fine. Can there be a health benefit to the variability of sleep. Um, like, like your son, not getting sleep that night. Um, like, so, cause the body adapts to what it does often. Right. So, so if we always eat the same meal every single day and at the same times, every single day, there gets to be this adaptation phase where if we're trying to achieve something or, or change something, well, it's hard to change something if nothing changes, but if sleep is variable, it could that also help the body improve or absolutely and, and, and these things are positives i tell people all the time that i like a schedule i think trying to exercise every day at the same time is good trying to have good balanced meals that happen about the same time every day keep a decent sleep schedule but you know tonight you know there's going to be somebody in this world who goes to bed and as he or she is getting ready to fall asleep might smell smoke and all of a sudden they're going to say, oh my gosh, do you smell that, honey? Wake up. Oh yeah, I smell it too. Oh, I think something's on fire. And they're going to wake up and they're going to run out and get the fire extinguisher and put the, the fire out. So it's great that we're not beholden to sleep, that we have some dominion over it, that we can affect change because a flight is delayed or a friend of ours needs our help late at night. You know, we can do it to some extent. Eventually, if we stay up helping that friend too long, we, we might nod off as they're talking to us. But it's good that we do have some sort of flexibility and control over that. Sometimes your meal isn't available at noon, but it is available at three. So we always want to keep a sense of schedule because I think our bodies work better that way. But to your point, our bodies are so elegantly designed and our brains so adaptable that we are good at sort of fitting in things when we have to. And, and I think that's some, a message to a child that, look, we're going to try to do things this way, but your body can easily adapt to when it's not that way. It's okay. And that's where that belief comes in again. Like, do you believe you can fly to Brussels, Belgium and give that presentation well, or do you feel like, oh, I just, I don't travel well. It's going to be a mess. And I'm so worried about it. Then a lot of times, yeah, your, your, your concerns become your reality. Um, two more questions. One is, oh, by the way, I love the, your humor, um, in your books. <laughs> I, I do think you could be, not uh, everybody uh, does. Let me tell you that. So now, I'll say this, since you brought it up, just to be clear, the humor is meant to make the situation not feel so dark or scary, which a lot of parent people who are struggling with sleep or parents of kids who are struggling with sleep 
feel like they're in the dark place. So I'm trying to make the situation light. It is never meant to make fun of your situation, which for some reason, you know, I've had some really like, you know, if you look at the one star reviews on my Amazon book, it's kind of like, they feel like I'm making fun of them, which you are my life. This is what I've devoted my life to helping people fix. So I would never make fun of an individual. Um, well, but anyway, not everybody likes to laugh, I guess, but like, that's so true. You, I mean, I think you could have a, a side career as a, a comedian if you wanted to have one. <laughs> that's, that's very nice of you. I'm sure the, the writers at SNL are, are, are on the, are on the phone are. right now trying to get a hold of me. Lauren Michaels is. <laughs> he's right. um, so I guess, okay. So my, my first question is, can you briefly describe, briefly describe what is sleep efficiency? Yeah. So sleep efficiency is, I've, I've never been asked this question before, but it's an important concept. Sleep efficiency is if you take the amount of time that you sleep and then divide it by the amount of time you're in bed, what is that percentage? So if you divide, if you're in bed six hours, uh, but you, I'm sorry, if you're in, you sleep six hours, but you're in bed for eight, six divided by eight times a hundred gives you a percentage. And so what we're looking for generally for a, a, a quote unquote normal or average sleeper would be about 85% sleep efficiency. And so if you've got somebody who's 97% efficient, which means they're in bed for seven hours, they're sleeping for six hours and 53 minutes kind of thing, awesome. that could be an indication that an individual is excessively sleepy. Like they're so driven to sleep they don't waste a crumb. Like if you give somebody some food and you look over five minutes later and it's gone, the plate looks absolutely clean. You could make some assumptions that they were really hungry, really liked your food, really hungry, and they didn't waste a drop of it. Versus if you gave somebody a plate of food and you looked over after a while and they'd only eaten about half of it. You know, that was 50% efficient. I gave you a 10 pieces of pizza, yay, five, 50% efficient. So that can often indicate an individual who might be struggling with their sleep quality, or it could be an indication that you're giving that individual too much opportunity to sleep. And when you start looking in kids in particular, number one, their sleep need is changing very rapidly from the time they're born to infants and toddlers and preschoolers and school-age kids their sleep changes dramatically by hours sometimes within just a couple of years. Um, so we want to make sure that when we look at an efficiency, that we're using that to get a sense of how driven somebody is to sleep. And that can often guide the way we can best construct their sleep schedule. So if somebody is, Chris, you know, this person goes to bed, they're out cold, they don't wake up until, you know, um, you might say, well, maybe they need a little bit more sleep. Maybe going to bed a half hour earlier would be better. If somebody says to me, and they often do, I go to bed at nine, but it always takes me two hours to fall asleep every night. Well, it sounds like maybe 10 or even 11 o'clock might be a better bedtime for you because unless somebody says to me, but I don't mind being in bed awake for two hours before I go to bed to sleep. If you don't care, I don't care. But again, most people come to see me not because they can't sleep or not because their kids can't sleep. It's because their kids sleep is inefficient. And it's unpredictable. Like what's going to happen tonight with your kid's sleep? Chris, I have no idea. It is all over the place. And parents can have trouble getting things done when they can't predict their kid's sleep. So that's a real negative when it comes to, you know, parenting and kid's sleep is when their sleep is not predictable and very inefficient. 
Awesome. Last question. What is princess sleep? <laughs> I thought it was hilarious. <laughs> princess, princess sleep is a patent pending term for, no, you know, princess sleep to me is sort of, I, yeah, that's a great question. Nobody will ever ask me that question again either. To me, it's sort of this idealized version of you get in bed and you're flat on your back and the, the pillow is just so, and the blanket is across your, and it's folded once and you've got a stuffed animal in one arm and a blanket in the other. And when you go to meet your child in the morning, it's like they haven't moved. They've just kind of, they're on the royal mattress and, and just perfect sleep. I, you know, I always call that princess sleep. Um, our kids never had it, although we did install these things that cooled their bed one time. And suddenly my two sons got it. My daughter didn't want it, but my son's got it. And for the first time I walked in one morning to wake them up for school and they had not moved a muscle. And I, I, we were joking. It was like, you know, an alien when they go out in space, they're all in those little pods, like in deep hibernation. And like, at some point you get woken up when you're circling Jupiter or whatever. Um, they looked like they were in that state and I couldn't believe it. And so a couple of nights later, I just turned the thing off when they were asleep. And the next morning they're back to sheets ripped off pillows in the basement. Mysteriously. I don't know how it got there. Like they're just all turned 180 degrees in the bed. So princess sleep, I guess, is the ideal sleep that any parent could ever want for their child. It's just perfect. Yeah. Uh, you talked about that in the sleep solution and I, I laughed because <laughs> I think I've had one night in my life where it took one, like uh, the covers were just folded down on the corner and all I had and to make to bed was just flip it up. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Prince, I, I would warn any viewer or any, I'm sorry, any listener that princess sleep is probably not a great goal. Um, it can be the ultimate sort of like, uh, here you go, writing a book. My goal is to sell 100 copies. It's not to be a New York Times bestseller. If that happens, that's fine. So if Princess Sleep happens for you, please give me a call or text me on Twitter and let me know about it. But I, I would aim a little lower initially and kind of work your way up. Speaking of the goal of 100 books, where can someone uh, find, your, find the rest of child or find the sleep solution? Yeah, you can find every, I think you can find all of these things where books are sold. I always just tell people Amazon because that's where everybody's at anyway, when they're at work or at home. So if you look up the rested child, why you're tired, wired or irritable child may have a sleep disorder and how to help um, or just type in the rested child, it will come up. And then the sleep solution, same thing. Now the sleep solutions available in hardback, paperback, Audible, if you want to listen to me, read it to you for 15 hours and also a Kindle version. Since the rest of the child's coming out tomorrow, it's only available right now in hardback and um, Kindle. So I'm sure there'll be a paperback at some point. And um, we have recorded the audio version of it. I just don't know if it's on Audible yet. And are you taking new patients? And if someone wants to consult with you, how do they get in touch with you? We are. So it's, we're in a weird time right now. Our clinic is 100% virtual, um, which is awesome um, just to kind of keep people safe. I'm sure at some point we will uh, venture back into the clinic. Um, at this point, for the most part, most states have relaxed licensure requirements in terms of um, I'm licensed in the state of Virginia, you know, meaning I can only see you if you're in the state of Virginia physically. Um, so that's starting to kind of go back. We actually just recently said, hey, we should probably go back to just doing those types of things. Now, we're generally not seeing people outside the state. It's just that if you were a 
patient of mine and you happen to be hiding from COVID in South Carolina at your mother's house because she doesn't live there anymore, we could see you and just kind of see how things were going. So just if you give our office a call, we can go through uh, whatever specifics you've got going on and make sure that everybody's doing the right thing and nobody gets in trouble. Awesome. Dr. Chris, thank you so much for your time. I'm really excited uh, and happy for you with your new book. And um, this will, uh, hopefully we, this will help get you that 100. <laughs> That's so. what I appreciate it. And if people like like social media, I'm, I'm on at Sports Sleep Doc, S-P-O-R-T-S-L-E-E-P-D-O-C. And so I always try to keep... Um, you know, post postings of interesting articles or things related to sleep on the, on those two platforms, Twitter and Instagram. Awesome. I will put that in the notes of the show. And again, thank you so much and congratulations. Well, I appreciate it. <laughs> Thanks for listening, everyone. Have a great weekend.